0: Thank you, Jeff, for reading for us and leading us in prayer. I don't think I did anything. Well, that's not better. What did I do? My light is green. Huh? Nothing's coming through. What? Nothing's coming through. Okay, let me see here. If I stick this one in, should I try that first? Yo yo, check it. That's not doing it either? What? Hello? Hello, hello, Okay, try this one. Does this work? Does this one work? This one works. Who was that, Mark? Mark, yeah. Okay. okay. This one works. You want me to maybe? probably easier. I don't know. Can I do that? They can hear it. You guys can hear this downstairs? Oh? A, uh, hello, hello. hello. Oh, this thing oh. isn't even hooked up anymore. Hello, hello. Oh, wait. Hey. Yeah, I'll put you on the okay. Is it going through the live stream? No, uh, yeah. Okay. All right, people. I hope I'm good. We'll see. All right. We We <laughs> Good. All right. Over the last number of weeks together, we have been looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life as part of this Lent series where we are uh, thinking about how Jesus uh, suffered at the hands of different people over the course of those last 24 hours before he went to the cross. And so we've talked about how his friends had disappointed him. We talked about how his, uh, one of his inner circle, one of the disciples, had betrayed him. We talked about how uh, he was rejected by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, the people who should have known better than anybody else, that Jesus truly was the man he said he was. And today we're looking at this story of uh, Peter disowning Jesus. Now you might say to yourself, well this, and I, I, was, I should say, I think this might be just the worst Uh, part of suffering that Jesus experienced throughout the entire ordeal. And you might say, well, how is this worse than being betrayed? You know, like Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And while that is true, consider this. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He, he predicted that Judas was going to pret- betray him. And he also knew that Judas wasn't really one of his disciples. Even though he was part of the twelve, he wasn't really one of the true believers. And we know this because John, in his letter, in 1 John, he describes those who uh, went out from us because they were not of us in the first place. And that's a reference specifically to people like Judas. These were people who were who were part of the Christian community that uh, said they believed in Jesus and trusted him. But when they when the heat was rising, when uh, suffering was at hand, they abandoned him and they left him, and they stayed distant from him. This is different, because Peter is different. Peter is one of one of the inner circle. You know that Jesus had the 12, right? But then he also had the three, Peter, James, and John. These were the the inner circle, his brothers who he knew most intimately. And Peter was one of those guys. And he was a true believer. He was the one who, when Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who do the people say that I am? And they gave a bunch of answers. And they said, well, who do you guys say I am? And Jesus said, or sorry, Peter said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He's the one who, when we saw, when we studied the garden, you know, he's the one who brought a sword along, and he actually pulled that thing out, and he tried to defend Jesus. He showed real courage, even if it was sort of stupid courage. It was still real courage in that moment. And so so Peter's the real deal. He's the guy who, who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who's tight with Jesus, and then... He denies Jesus. And that's that's the, the deepest cut of all, you know? It's not a stab in the back like Judas. This is a full, frontal, direct, brazen disavowal of his close friend. I don't know the man, he says. Like he repudiates his relationship. Three years wiped out it's all gone like it never happened you ever had that Um, I I can't I can't recall a specific movie I was racking my brain to try to recall a specific movie but there is a theme in movies or in TV shows you know where kids They're good friends, right, in grade school, but then they go to high school. And and somebody has decided that they're going to reinvent themselves and become a different kind of guy or gal or something. They want to be in with the cool gang. And, you know, they used to play Space Invaders in their bedroom with their best buddy and afterwards, you know, they go to high school and they're trying to be all cool and their best buddy shows up with his nerdy Space Invaders sweatshirt on and he's walking down the hall and he says, hey, Johnny, how's it going? And Johnny's like, Mm-mm, I don't know that guy. And he takes off and walks away with the cool kids with the, the, wearing the letters, uh, you know, the, the athletic letter or whatever. That's just a small illustration of what's going on here. Like, Peter just says, I don't know this guy. I want nothing to do with this guy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three pictures, okay? Three pictures in this passage. We're going to see a picture of weakness, we're going to see a picture of sin, and we're going to see a picture of salvation uh, in Peter's denial. So let's, let's go and have a look at it together. So first of all, What we have here is a picture of weakness. Jeff read two passages, right? The one is from uh, the Last Supper, and then the other one is from uh, the Courtyard. And at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, you guys are all going to disown me. You're all going to fall away from me. And who is adamant that that is not going to happen? Peter, right? Peter is so confident. He is so sure that he is going to stick up for Jesus. These guys might desert you. I would never desert you. We are blood brothers, Jesus. You and me, we are tight. And then he shows his courage, right? He does take that sword and in the garden at the moment of the arrest. He pulls it out and he tries to defend Jesus. He cuts the ear off. And we learn that he's the only disciple that is like trying to follow Jesus. When Jesus gets arrested, he, he and John, but John in a different way, Peter uh, uh, is is still part of the scene. You know, all the other disciples have sort of you know, scattered off-screen kind of thing. We know where Peter is. We know what he's doing. He's at least trying to stick with Jesus. He's sticking his neck out to be identified with Jesus when he goes to Caiaphas's house and, and the trial. And then what happens? A servant girl comes up. Now, every time you read, like, servant in the Gospels, it's really the word slave. There's reasons why translators always use the word servant and they have to do with... Um, sort of chattel slavery of the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. But the word actually is slave. It's doula. So this girl is a slave girl and this is at night, as we read, of course, when most girls are safe at home, in bed, uh, under their parents' roof. This girl is working. And she's working in Caiaphas's palace. So she is an extremely low station person. She is about as invisible as it gets. She is utterly inconsequential. She's a girl, okay, and she's a slave. But she knew something of Jesus' ministry. She's been watching Jesus' ministry. She, she, Knows who Jesus is, and, and we know she knows who Jesus is because she recognizes Peter. So she's she's been following Jesus' ministry, and it's interesting, you know, and at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus quotes a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61, which says this: the spirit which says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. That was Jesus' ministry. That's what he said, I am here to do. And this woman is a perfect representation of the people that Jesus came for. She is the downtrodden. She is the marginalized. She is the forgotten. And so when she comes up to Peter, and she says, hey, you're with Jesus. It's not, an. you should not read it as an accusation. For a long time, that's how I read it. Like, she's like, hey, you, Katya, you're with Jesus. That's not what's happening here. She's recognizing that Jesus is uh, an important figure, and that Peter was with this important figure. That's all she's doing. She's connecting the dots, okay? And, and she says, I see, I've seen you with him. And, and the reason she's connecting the dots is because, if you think about it, what would a Galilean fisherman be doing in the court of the high priest's house at this time of night? It really doesn't make sense. And then Jesus is also this Galilean fisherman or something, carpenter, uh, who's in, on trial. So she puts two and two together. She's not a rocket scientist. It just makes sense. And this is what makes Peter's response so incredibly lame, right? I don't, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, right? But what this is is a picture of weakness. Peter is so weak; like he he folds immediately. He is being asked, basically, by a nobody, "Hey, are you with that guy?" And immediately he gets his defenses up, and he he he. He it's not like somebody grabs him and slams him up, up, up against the wall and says, tell me the truth, are you with this Jesus or I'm going to stick you with this knife? None of that. She's like, hey, were you with him? And she's carrying water or something and he walks by. That's it. She's a kid. She's a girl. She's a slave. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's it's tough to admit how weak we are isn't it like maybe we want to say as we read this story you know i i wouldn't do that i wouldn't be like peter i wouldn't i would be faithful i would hold on to the to to this to this relationship with jesus i'd admit it mm, i don't know guys like when i was a teenager i went to i had the privilege of going to a christian christian high school and I had a lot of non-Christian friends that played on sports teams and stuff, and I got to know them. There. You know, where do you go to school? I go to a private school. I didn't want to say I go to a Christian school. So I'd say, oh, I go to a private school. Well, it's an indirect denial of my relationship with Jesus Christ. We're weaker than we think. Think of all the times that you've had an opportunity to share your faith. Like... You know how you're always looking for an open door. Lord, open a door for me to share my faith. And then he opens the barn door. Or use the, the analogy of the pitch. You know, he serves up a cream puff for you to just knock out of the park. And what do you do? You put your bat down. Come on. It, it's easy for us to say, well, we wouldn't be like Peter, but the reality is, is we're probably like Peter more often than we want to admit and what this shows us is and you know he's indirect about his denial, right? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Same with me. Like, what kind of school? Where do you go to school? I go to a private school. It is a private school, technically, but it's an indirect denial. Now, this shows us we are weaker than we think. Do you think that Peter, do you think that Peter thought he was capable of this there he was in the upper room he was so confident he was so certain he had he had he was strapping he was ready to go to the wall for Jesus that's how he felt in that moment and then it all comes crumbling down when a child asks him a very very simple question he's shocked by how weak he is like we all are all of us are given to the temptation to deny our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a picture of weakness. And it's not just a picture of weakness, it's a picture actually of sin. Because why is Peter so weak? He's so weak because he's sinful. When do you think Peter's troubles started? Like, when do you think he was like falling into you know, into a pattern that could lead to him actually denying Jesus in that moment and disavowing his relationship with him. Well, it, it started long before uh, he was in that courtyard. That's why we read that passage uh, of the upper room where Peter was certain that he was going to go to the wall for Jesus because in that moment we see that he was oh, oh so overconfident. Think about this. The Son of God is sitting with you at a meal... And he looks you in the eye, and he says to you, listen, things are going to get really rough in the next little while, and you're going to be scared out of your mind, and you're going to bail. You're going to run. You're not going to stick up for me. And you say, no, 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 no. And the Son of God says, listen, I get that you think (laughs) that you're going to be able to handle this, but... You're not, and I just want to prepare you for this, that this is coming. And you still say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. What this demonstrates here is that, that Peter, Peter was a foolish man. He was, he was not aware of himself. He had very little self-awareness. And so when he discovers how weak he really is, when he realizes just how easily he can, he can uh, fold like a house of cards, it's traumatic to him. And that happens to all of us. You have a picture of yourself. We all do. We have a picture of ourselves. We, we have a, a, an image of ourselves that we project to the world. We have an assessment of our own character. And then when something happens to question the strength of that character, we become traumatized by the discovery. Peter didn't think he was capable of this, and yet there he was. It's a lack of humility, you see. See, a lack of humility, according to Romans chapter 12, a lack of humility, which we call pride, is basically a failure to have a proper assessment of your character. And the proper assessment of all all our characters is this. We are weaker than we think. We are all prone to this kind of, of failure. We are all somewhat overconfident. And you think to yourself, oh, I know I'm not overconfident. But, but every time you hear a story of someone falling into a sinful pattern and you think to yourself, even if it's just for a moment, you think to yourself, "Ah, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. I couldn't do that. Listen, over the last number of months, maybe a couple of years, maybe a lot of years, actually, there have been some pretty high-profile pastors falling from grace. Moral failure on a very large scale. Public causing a lot of pain and heartache in their communities. And, you know, when I would first hear those stories, I would think to myself, how does that happen? I just don't get, like, what's wrong with these people? The more I thought about it, the more, and the more the gospel worked on me, the more I was like, you know, that's the wrong response. I can still respond with, I don't, I don't understand why this keeps happening, but I better not ever respond with the, the idea like, this could never happen to me. We are all living under the, the grace of God. We all live by the mantra, but for the grace of God go I. And every time you and I think to ourselves, well, whatever happened to that person, that could never happen to me. We're betraying that we don't really know ourselves as well as we think we do. So he starts with overconfidence. And he continues with negligence. Because in the garden, Jesus says specifically to Peter, Peter, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Now, this is the same guy who just hours or minutes earlier, was sitting at a table with Peter and saying, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's saying, no, I'm not going to deny you. Yeah, you are going to deny me. And Peter saying, no, I'm not going to deny you. Now the same guy comes to you in the garden and he says, looks you in the eye and he says to you, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. What do you think he's talking about? You're going to deny me. So you better watch and pray to be strengthened from this temptation. In Luke, Jesus has even more to say to Peter. And he says to him, Peter, listen, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And therefore you better watch and pray. Why? Because he's saying Satan has asked to, to, to tear you apart and see if, if you'll be blown away. And you would think that Peter's finally getting it and finally listening, but No. He doesn't, and so he denies, and it starts small. We see in a progression in these denials, and it starts kind of small. First of all, he says to the girl, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, and that's not a big denial, right? That's an indirect kind of denial, and on one level, you could say, well, you know, let's cut him a bit of slack. That could happen to anybody once. You know, you're not ready for it and somebody asks you a question, you kind of stumble and mumble, and you just sort of respond, and maybe, maybe you lie like Peter did. That can happen, right? But, but it just got easier for Peter. And the second time and the third time it gets easier. He gets asked again, and, and, and things get worse because it becomes more direct. And, and he says when this other girl comes up to him in verse 72, uh, where it says, what does it say? This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. It says he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. With an oath. It's like he said, as God, as my, with God as my witness, I don't know who this man is. So he, he becomes bold and he becomes adamant and he's, he's, it's getting easier for him to sin. And this is the thing about sin you know, every time you do a sin, it becomes easier to do that sin again. So, so let me just give you, this is a bit of a side, side gig. You don't have to pay for this. If, if you're thinking about a sinful behavior that you've never tried before, and this, this you know, you'll see this play out in, in, in people who have addiction problems. They'll tell you, this is totally how it works. The first time you're enticed, it could be hard to tempt you into that sin. But if you give in, it gets easier every other time you're tempted into that sin. This is how sin works on us and how it works in us. And anybody with any number of years under their belt can can attest to that fact. You know, the first time I did it, I was shocked that I did it. But then, it got a little easier. And then, it got a little easier. And with, with Peter, he's getting better at this denying thing because the first time, he's indirect. The second time, he's very direct. And, you know, he, he says, I don't know the man, and he does it with an oath. And then the third time, of course... He's very, very adamant because he's willing to pour down curses on God, on, on Jesus. I'll get to that in a second. But what you, I want you to see how this is so common. Have you not been here? You know, you've, you, you've, you've been caught in a lie or you've done something wrong and now the noose is tightening and, and you can feel that you're about to get found out. And what do you do? You double down. Kids, you ever have this? Uh, let's say your dad, we'll use dad this time. Usually mom's catching us, but we'll use dad this time. Your dad catches you do something, catches, catch them, catches you doing something. And they say, did you do that? And you blurt out, no, right? It's self-preservation, it's your sinful nature, it's, it's all kinds of stuff coming together, and you just react. You don't even think about it. You just, no. And then they say, and they look at you and they say, Are you sure? And now you've got a choice. Do you fess up? And do you take your licks or whatever's gonna come? Or do you double down? Now, you don't wanna get in trouble. Of course you don't wanna get in trouble. Who wants trouble? And so what do you do? You double down. And you become more adamant. And you say, no, 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 that wasn't me. Why would I do that? Of course I wouldn't do that. I'm telling you guys, this is a bad scene. Don't do that. Keep listening. Look at what happens to Peter. He becomes more comfortable when the bystanders come by and they recognize his accent. They put two and two together and they say, aha, what are you doing here? You're definitely with him. When Jessica and I uh, lived in Philadelphia, we lived there for three years. And people, would, people knew we were Canadians by our accent, right? They're like, oh, you said a boot. And they say, oh, you said A. And the weird thing is, is that when they discovered that we were Canadians, they were always asking us, do you know so and so? Like it could be a movie star. Oh, you know Jim Carrey? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, he's our neighbor, you know, because there's only about 400 of us that live in Canada. We all know each other, right? Eric Lindros played for the, the Flyers at the time. Yeah, he was a buddy, of course. I played shinny with him growing up. Come on. Because of our accent, they they figured we knew every other Canadian. Now, that's kind of funny, but it's, it's not so funny here. It's not so funny here. Peter's caught, and he knows he's caught. All the evidence points to the fact that he is indeed a colleague of Jesus, and he has an opportunity now to just own it, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And here's the difference. Now, he doesn't just swear and make an oath. Now, he pours down curses. Now, some scholars think he's saying, may God strike me dead if I'm lying and I know this man. That's possibly true, but there's a lot of scholars that, that you, because of the language, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but because of the language, they say that, that probably what Peter is doing here is he's actually cursing Jesus. The language here is that he's got to curse someone or something in order to save his own skin, and he, he's not cursing himself. In fact, he's cursing Jesus. Because think about it. What would be the best way to prove that, you, that this man is not your master? It would be to call down curses upon that master. That would never happen. No disciple would ever like, actually curse their master in first century Palestine. But here, Peter does that. It's a bridge too far, but Peter crosses it. This is, this is not just, I don't really know the guy. This is not, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. This is renouncing. This is forsaking. This is the guy who told Jesus, I love you with an undying love. I will be by your side to the bitter, bitter end. I love you more than all these other guys who is now saying, I want nothing to do with this Jesus. I don't have anything to do with him. In fact, I repudiate him and his whole ministry and everything he's about. And at that moment... A rooster crows. And one scholar put it this way, that never had a bird made a noise of such judgment. The rooster trumpeted Peter's guilt, and suddenly Peter remembers. Verse 75, Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, this, this scene, it looks really bleak, right? It's, it's heart-wrenching. Do you, do you feel for Peter? Like, to have fallen so far, to have failed so spectacularly, you feel for him, right? But you know what? This is actually the beginning of a picture of salvation. This man, in his agony, is beginning the process of being saved. Peter wept bitterly. And we might think, well, this is, a bad, this is a bad thing that Peter wept bitterly because he's in such anguish. Like, understand, weeping bitterly is not just crying hard. He's not just like <laughs> sobbing. That's not what it is. It is, the bitterness is, is from disappointment. He is ashamed of himself. It is a shameful weeping. He feels terrible about himself. He says, I suck. I'm awful. I'm the worst. I don't deserve this friendship. Maybe I don't deserve to live. It's all that kind of self-condemnation kind of language that is being poured down on him as he weeps bitterly. He's experienced these events that have shown that he is a coward, not brave, that he is weak. He is essentially seeing his true self for the first time, and he is repulsed by what he sees. Now, us modern people, our reaction to what I just said is probably well, that's bad. Self condemnation is bad. You know, telling yourself that you suck and that you're no good and that you're a failure and all that kind of stuff, that's going to lead to some serious low self-esteem. That's not good for Peter, but you know what? That's not bad if it's done right. Peter is doing it right because he's doing it in a way of repentance. You see, he wept. He wept at what he saw. He was undone by his sin. He was sorry for his sin. You know what the difference between Peter and Judas is? Peter wept. Judas had self-hatred. Judas had, had condemnation poured down on himself for what he had done. But you know what he did with that? He didn't repent. He let the weight of it literally kill him and he took his own life because he had nowhere to go with it. But Peter wept. He faced the truth, and he repented of his sin, and he's beginning to find freedom in it. Remember last time I said, we want to think we're strong. We want to think we're capable. We want to think we're stable. We want to think we've got our act together, and we want other people to think we've got our act together. And then something happens, and our life unravels. And it shows us that we're not nearly as stable, we're not nearly as strong, we're not nearly as capable as we would like to think we are, and we want others to think we are. And that's going to happen to every single one of us in this room. It will happen when you're young, or it'll happen when you're old. It'll happen multiple times because we're really, really slow learners. It's going to happen. The question is, if we're going to face this reality about ourselves, what do you do with it? How do you not get buried under a mountain of shame and self-hatred that leads you to absolute despair? You've got to do what Peter did. You've got to plunge it into the grace of God because when you do that, he works his, dare I say, magic and he turns that into gold. Peter becomes a self-aware man. He becomes a humble man. He becomes a compassionate man. He becomes a bold man. You look at him in Acts chapter 2, and he preaches this sermon calling on the the leaders of Jerusalem and all the people who will listen to them and indicting them for putting to death their Savior, and he's afraid of no one. How did he become this lion? He became this lion through the grace of God. It happened to Peter. Jesus put Peter in a position to see his sin, to see that he is more wicked and weak than he was ever willing to admit. But that wasn't the end of the story, you see, because it says here that Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Now, I'm—it's not cheating. But I tend to not want to go outside of the passage I'm preaching on to get details for a story. But I'm going to do it this time because I did it already once. Remember when I said Luke records that Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you? But then he says to to Peter, Satan wants wants to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. So he's speaking directly to Peter that your faith may not fail. And then what does he say? And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I'm going to restore you, Peter. So this is, before it all goes down, Jesus says, you're going to deny me, Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 I'm going to be awesome. I promise you. I'm there for you, Jesus. Peter, you really are going to blow it big time. It's going to be awful. And Peter says, no, 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 I'm going to be awesome. I promise. I'm the guy for you, Jesus. We're in this together. Remember blood brothers and all that stuff. And then Peter completely blows it. And God put, and and Jesus knew he was going to blow it, that in his most needy hour, in his moment of most dire distress, Peter Peter was going to fail terribly but Jesus had already promised Peter I'm going to restore you and your job is going to be to strengthen your brothers and Peter remembered that in that moment what I'm trying to say is is that in that moment of his greatest failure Peter recognized Jesus' glorious grace He knew he was going to fail. He saw it coming. He told him it was going to come, and he did it. And Jesus, not for a second, not for a moment, did Jesus think, well, I am done with this turkey and kick him to the curb. No, Jesus had his arms open, face bloodied and beaten and bruised and swollen, and he looks at his failed friend and he says, I am still here. Because there is nothing you can do There is nothing you can do, Peter, nothing you can do to erode my commitment to you. And the shame melted away before the flame of Jesus' refining love. Peter says, or Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, be strong enough to be weak and know his power in your weakness. Let's pray. Jesus, we cannot, we cannot begin to fathom your love. Story after story in these pages of scripture show us a love that is, well, it's, It's not of this world. Teach us, Lord, to give ourselves to the one who is love, our Savior Jesus. Teach us, Lord, to be willing to admit that we are weaker than we ever thought, but we are more cherished than we could ever hope.